This Wednesday, September 22nd, at precisely 2.21 p.m., summer will end. By Texas standards, it's been a fairly tolerable summer, cooler than normal with some rain. Tolerable, but not totally satisfactory. Because I don't want summer to start until June. Sometimes it starts in March. (laughs) And I want it to be over in September. September 22nd, to be exact. September the 22nd at 2.21 in the afternoon. I want summer to be over. I expect the temperature to be about 30 degrees to cooler. With a hint of frost in the air. I want the leaves to start changing color and the squirrels to be gathering nuts and the geese flying south for the winter. And if all these things don't happen on Wednesday, I am going to be seriously out of sorts. (laughs) Now, what do you think the chances are of all of these things happening on Wednesday? (laughs) And speaking of winter... When it comes on December 21st, I expect it to be snowing. And if it isn't, (laughs) and it probably won't be, I'm going to be very disappointed. When will summer really end? Not this week. Temperatures in the 90s, perhaps even 100, are in the forecast. And as to when winter will come, we haven't got a clue. Some years it doesn't come at all. Last year, that's what we thought, didn't we? (laughs) And it came in February, you may remember. It did its worst, and then it was gone. Life where we live is very luxuriant. There's kind of lazy complacency to it. The summer's warmth lingers into autumn, and when finally winter comes, uh, soon it leaves. So perhaps we do not sense the urgency in Jeremiah's lament for Israel. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. There is perhaps less urgency, but only a little less, in Paul's last words to Timothy. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me, and Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is here with me. And when you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. So do your best, Timothy. Do your best, to come before winter. Exactly when summer ends and the winter comes is not really the issue. Jeremiah and Paul are not talking about the weather or the seasons. They are talking about a mindset, about a way of looking at life which says, there will always be time to do the things I ought to do. 
there will always be time to be a different person than I am. The changes I need to set things right, there will always be time for those. Not so, Jeremiah says. The time will come when the harvest is past and the summer is ended and we are not saved. So what does it mean to be saved? To many people, being saved was something that happened in the past (laughs) and will happen again in eternity when we all get to heaven. (laughs) It is a past and future event. Sometime in the past, we said some words and got baptized or got confirmed or joined the church, and that punched our ticket to eternal life. You may remember from Huckleberry Finn that Miss Watson was always rocking on the porch thinking about heaven. Well, what is heaven like? Huck wonders. Oh, it's wonderful, she says. You wear a white nightgown and float around singing and playing a harp forever and ever. Notice that forever and ever starts when you die. (laughs) Well, will Tom Sawyer go to heaven, he asks. I should say not, she replies. Well, I don't want to go either, he says. I would rather be where Tom is. So there you have Miss Watson's view of salvation. Somewhere back there she got saved, and later on up yonder she is going to heaven, and all you have to do in the meantime is rock yourself back and forth on the front porch. It ought to be said in Miss Watson's defense... At the very end, she gives Jim her human property, his freedom, as a condition of her will. But notice, that happens when she dies, because that is when eternal life begins. But now wait. If we believe in this thing called eternal life, surely it is going on now. Otherwise, it wouldn't be eternal, would it? Surely it doesn't start with pie in the sky by and by when we die. Surely what we are doing now has something to do with our being saved. John Wesley called it perfection. Now, to Presbyterians, that sounds a little optimistic. (laughs) But John Calvin called it sanctification. It's an aspect of our theology we tend to neglect. I suspect because we equate it with what we used to call works righteousness, the idea that our works will earn our salvation for us. That's not what Calvin means. And we ignore sanctification to our detriment. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul said. 
Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And while I hope it isn't that hard, clearly what we're doing or not doing now is important. A few examples. We are prompted, every one of us, to a thousand kindly thoughts. Our minds conceive a hundred generous plans, but we act on very few of them. There is always time, we think, to follow through on our good intentions, but the time might be shorter than we think. Paul's books and parchments must reach him soon, or he will be past the need of them. But more than these things, Paul needs Timothy. Somebody needs us. Paul loves Timothy. Somebody loves us. In another of his letters, Paul makes this confession. We were troubled on every side, but God comforted us by the coming of Titus. God comforted us by the coming of Titus. Nowadays, Titus usually comes to people by email. (laughs) Someone we know is troubled. And by sending us to them, God will comfort them. But will we go? Did Timothy come to Paul before winter? I think surely he did. But what if he hadn't? What if he intended to, but just let it go? Demas is left, and Crescens and Titus are not there, but Luke is there. He might have rationalized. Besides, the harvest is only just past, and the summer only just ended, and winter may never come. What if that is what Timothy thought? No. I choose to believe that Timothy went, and I believe he was working out his salvation when he did. Perhaps a bit of our salvation is hanging in the balance this way. Someone has wronged us and we feel grieved, or it is the other way around, and we have done something and, and they have done something to damage our relationship with them. You know, asking or even giving forgiveness is not easy. There is a certain protocol to it, sort of like dueling with pistols in the old days. A face-saving code of conduct, which has to be followed. Which of us is obligated to take the first step or make the first move? All too frequently, neither of us does. There is an awful inexorableness about the way in which time sweeps on and cares no more for our rights and wrongs than the dance of the autumn leaves before the wind. We never meant to drift so far apart from someone we once called our friend, but the loss is awful, and the time will come when we cannot do anything about it. (laughs) 
It is worth any effort we can make to set things right, never mind the rules of engagement. And if we only try, we might find out how easily it can be done and how great will be the satisfaction. You might almost call it being saved. Because, in fact, that's what it is. A third example, a very different one. Perhaps many times we have heard the appeal of the gospel, but we have never faced squarely up to the issue. We have let the issue remain unresolved for a long time now. Thinking about it seems like the right thing to do, and it is. Chesterton used to say, when a man tells me he is thinking about something, I say, good for you. Only see to it that you decide. But two things can happen if we simply let the matter go. We can either stop thinking about it all, or we can go on thinking about it forever. You remember what Elijah said to the Israelites. Why do you go on limping along between two opinions? If God is God, follow him. Now, please do not misunderstand me. I'm not standing here preaching eternal perdition or fire and brimstone, to put it discreetly. As usual, I'm preaching to myself, and more than once I've recalled these words of William James. Nothing is so fatiguing as the hanging on of an uncompleted decision. And at the end of his essay, Is Life Worth Living?, he said these last words, Do not be afraid of life. Believe that life is worth living, and your belief will help create that fact. Well, if life is worth living, maybe we ought to be living it now. You might almost call that being saved. Now, this last, and we're done. To Timothy, there was given this chance of doing something to express his love and acknowledge his debt to the Apostle Paul, who had been like a father to him. In comparison with St. Paul, Timothy was young and a little reticent and not as decisive as perhaps he needed to be. Paul worried about that, as comes through in both his letters to his adopted son. But to Timothy came this appeal of the church which had reared him, of his mother's prayers and his grandmother's piety, and to us comes the chance to help and serve the church which has raised and nourished us, the church of all those who have gone before, all those we have said goodbye to during this long season of separation that we have been through, and all who went before them. The church needs us now 
just as Paul needed Timothy. There is something we need to be doing now that cannot wait. If something has gone wrong, let's set it right. If an apology has to be made, let's make it or accept it. Few things are more important as keeping our friendships in constant repair, Dr. Johnson said. So if one of our friendships needs repairing, let's see to it now. If after all these months we have been apart from each other, our church needs what each of us can give it, let us take up the tasks of discipleship with joy and thanksgiving. The calendar may say summer is ending, but it will linger on. Let us see in these warm, even hot days that have outlasted the season a symbol of God's grace so that when summer finally ends and winter finally comes, we will be saved. <laughs>